What is up, everyone, and welcome into the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. I'm Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining us shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In today's episode, we're going to be exploring the November issue of Modern Drummer. We're going to get into the In the Pocket section, where Zorro broke down the Halftime Shuffle and really explored the history of the Halftime Shuffle. Mike and I will give our opinions on that groove as well. We're going to go deep into the subject of chops versus groove, define each one of those subjects, really discuss the importance that each one of those things can bring to your drumming and your musicality. In our gear review section, Mike and I will take a look at the new Minel Vintage Pure and Vintage Pure Light ride cymbals, and we'll also take a look at the new Masters of Maple Type M snare. We got a lot to get to, so let's get started. Since this is our first episode, let's kind of bring everybody up to speed on uh, the friendship that you and I have. And do you even remember how we got connected? Was it just through me submitting articles for Modern Drummer? Or? No, I remember it exactly. Uh, Chad Brandolini sent a press release announcing you were a Vader artist. And I went and checked oh. out your site and was like, hey, can I talk to this guy about writing for us? And that was it. Wow, I, I, now I do remember that. I, I remember thinking, like, wow, this this move to Vader was really cool. It hooked me up with Modern Drummer. And, uh, yeah, and for me, I mean, you know, I think for a lot of people that are listening, Modern Drummer was my Bible growing up. And so to be contacted and asked to write was just, you know, it was, it was like heaven for me. And I was so nervous about writing anything. And I remember sending you the notation I wasn't nervous about words I was so scared and you you were really kind and you kind of rewrote my entire article as if I was intelligent and I really appreciate that (laughs) it wasn't quite a rewrite but you know that's what I do I've been here 10 years editing words so I think I can kind of do it I think you can too so as far as our main topic for today chops versus groove let's get into that you know, what are your initial thoughts when you hear words like chops and grooves? You know, what do, what do those each mean to you? You know, for me, chops are like solo ideas. Um, that's It's show-off-y time, chops. Uh, but that said, I think you can have some chopsy grooves. So it for me to define the two, it's really difficult. A groove is something that is a consistent pattern. I would say is probably my definition. Right. And a chop is something more like a embellishment or a solo. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, for me growing up, chops to me was the collection of skill sets that you had. So when I would say, you know, that guy's got chops, I was sometimes I was referring to that guy's got jazz chops, that guy's got rock chops, but it was a collection of the skill set they had that made me think they had chops. And you're right, and it it'll it lent itself to showing off and it was definitely like, I definitely think of, I put, you know, fills and licks and all those into that chop category, hand speed, foot speed, independence, and then grooves definitely for me was always something that made you kind of bob your head. Like you said, it had that repeated pattern or at least a repeat, a repeatable feel to it. And it allowed other people to join in. And I think when I think about chops, like if I think, you know, Mike Dawson's chopping up, I don't think of me as a bass player being able to jump in with it. But when I think like somebody's laying down a groove, it allows me to predict where things are headed and I can kind of be a part of it, you know? Mm. Yeah, I like that. Well, then we're going to keep it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I guess so, you're right. I mean, I thinking back, Chops more is about your overall skill set. Yeah, and, and then I think it's almost like the word dude, where it can be used a, a million different ways. And so sometimes it's like, 
people will ask me, hey, can you show me that chop? Like it became a singular thing. Um, and then sometimes, you know, when we talk about great drummers, like, yeah, he's got chops. So, um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely something where chops sometimes can be misused, especially in today's social media thing where everyone wants chops, chops, chops. And they don't take the time to realize you're not going to be really allowed to use hardly any of this stuff unless you're in uh, a highly improvised fusion setting. But in your pop gig, you're not going to be able to drop the heat on this 30-second note crossover double bass polyrhythmic chop. It's, right. you know, you know it's just coming, growing up, I think we I defined it more as technique. The word yeah. chops never came into play until... I started hearing about gospel chops and things like that. For me, right. it was always sure. just technique. I had you have double bass technique, or you have okay. jazz technique. So sure. those are interchangeable terms in my world. Who was the first drummer that you remember when you were growing up that had chops to you, or had you know, kind of like a full arsenal of technique? Uh, Will Calhoun. He would probably oh. be number one when I oh. heard. The first Living Color record, it was like, that drummer is doing a lot of stuff. I don't know what he's doing. I need to figure it out. <laughs> I need to figure it out right away, and I'm going to go ahead and try to play all of Vernon Reed's solos on my toms. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, Will was definitely up there. I think for me, the first one was Billy Cobham, just because my father gave me the record uh, Spectrum. And he was like, if you want to learn drumming, this is drumming. And you know, he gave me that and I think uh, something by Cream that had... Mm. The, some long Ginger Baker solo on it. But yeah. I remember that thinking, oh, well, I can't, it's not something where I can dissect it. Kind of like the Will Calhoun thing. Even if I knew what this person was playing, it wouldn't help because I am i don't have enough drumming facility to copy this, mm-hmm. you know? So I had to build up my chops or my overall technique on the instrument. Um, I used to play along to Vivid with what, one of those little Sears kits with like a 16-inch bass drum and a 10-inch no way. and a splash cymbal. <laughs> That's all yeah. I had. Really? Yeah. And I thought oh, I did all so that cool. all that stuff between the ride bell and the hi hat. I thought it was oh, all yeah, just yeah. on the ride. So I was playing all that stuff with one hand. So it was just shut up. <laughs> yeah. So so you not knowing what Will was actually doing and you not having YouTube allowed you to become a better drummer because you had to I think we all did that. I mean I had to play one by Metallica between my floor tom and my bass drum because I couldn't afford a double bass pedal. So Right. Um it pushed me into an area that I wouldn't have been going into if I would have had YouTube and I would have seen how it was done. Um, I honestly didn't really know anything about double bass at that time because I was just a kid, you know. Um, so who are, like, do you have any guys right now that in the chop world you think kind of have, you know, like something where you really enjoy their improvisations, their show, you know, the, the time where they're showing off? Um, you know what, there's a couple guys. Uh, Elon Rubin, I think, has got a, incredible yeah. combination of like flawless technique and and musicality and power he's kind of got it all for me um and there's always Vinny Cayuta he, he never yeah. I still can't figure out what he's I've been listening to him for 25 years I still can't figure out what he's doing um, that's so awesome and you know what's crazy is he just never falls out of favor you know I mean yeah. he's as popular now as he was 10 years ago as he was 20 years ago yeah I think we're going to be catching him up to him for a lifetime yeah, uh, I agree. and then there's one guy I met when I first started the magazine. I met Ronald Bruner Jr. He was playing with Kenny Garrett, and yeah. I'd never had heard someone play that fast before in my life. Like he was able to go like speed five overdrive and then one more speed. It was right. It blew my hair back. Yeah, Ronald's incredible. I saw him play with George Duke at Yoshi's in Oakland, 
and they did kind of this history of George Duke, you know, um, medley. And watching him go through the entire history of rock and roll music, you know, from kind of classic rock and roll through R&B, through Motown, all the way through George Clinton, or all the George Clinton stuff, and then, you know, everything that George Duke did, and then going into all the um, Zappa stuff, watching him go through all those styles and not play any of them even remotely the same, that's what actually impressed me, because I thought, okay, well, I have drummer buddies that have the facility to play that stuff, but they would still have their own stylistic stamp. They wouldn't sound like a 70s drummer. Mm-hmm. And Ronald actually did. Like It sounded like the 70s, and then it sounded like the 80s, then the 90s, and he really cared about it. And I don't know the guy at all, but I, I definitely, that was one of the few times where I thought, wow, man, that's a legitimate musician right there. That's really cool. Yep. I think you know right now, for me, I look at a new world of chops that's happening with guys like Mark Juliana, um, Benny right. Greb, uh, where it's like it's not quite as showboaty, it's not quite as in your face. It's more like chops based off of who's got the biggest create, you know, creative chops. Who's got the most amount of creativity that make you sit there going like, well, wait a minute, I have a four piece kit and I've never even considered doing any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a new world, and and I mean there must be some cats because I'm on the west coast, but there must be some cats. I've never really had a chance to see Ari Honig play. I mean, would you consider him as somebody that's kind of pushing the forefronts of creativity? Yeah, I mean, his chops are are not about technique, although his technique is is ridiculous. He can play quieter than anyone I've ever heard. But his chops are he can he can play actual melodies on the drum set, like note wow. for note. That. That's what I mean. It seems like it's kind of endless. There is no, you know, good chops, bad chops. It's just it's just got that, you know, creative niche to it. I mean, you and I were laughing our rear ends off today about Dave King and he's another guy yeah. where yeah. it's just a, a creative skill set of chops instead of just a very simple speed and independence type of thing. So, all right, well let's del- uh, let's get into the groove thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a groove, like I said, to me is something that multiple people can identify a pulse with multiple people can identify a feel with and multiple people can play along with it on like a chop that might just be blazing licks all over the kit. So who are some of the guys that really exemplify that for you? Um, I have a duo, Matt Chamberlain and Steve Jordan, I think will be my two all time forever till I die favorite groove players. And then if I go back rock and roll, Josh Freese still to this day, I would love to, I love any record he plays on. It just sounds so good. Uh, Al Jackson jr. From more classic R and B can't beat him um and then if i go back to my original it'd be chad smith and marky ramon nice very nice wow man and so were you can you tell I, that I i'm more into groove than i am chops <laughs> yeah no you you definitely just had like yeah those ready to go and uh you know what what i'm wondering is were you introduced to drummers because they happen to play in your favorite bands or did you find them as drummers and then learn about their band? Both. So were you into the Ramones? Oh, both, okay. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. I I was into the Ramones from the very beginning. That was the day I got my drum set. My brother and I played a Ramones record. We played Road to Ruin, nice. uh, which is Marky Ramones' first appearance with the band. And I don't actually like the three albums before that very much. So it okay. is It is definitely Marky Ramone that I like about the Ramones. Same thing with Nirvana. When I heard Dave Grohl, that was it. When I heard the first record, eh, not so much, because he's not on Got it. it. Right. So it's kind of like when I hear a drummer that's powerful and creative and makes me feel something, then I like the band. 
Yeah. Well, Matt Chamberlain's definitely up there for me. Um, you know, I was uh, always a big fan of kind of artsy female pop. So whatever he was doing, you know, with uh, uh, Tori Amos or Fiona Apple was always incredible, especially the Fiona Apple stuff, because I felt that was Matt actually being allowed to be Matt rather than just being a session player. There was so much percussion in it. You couldn't tell what was percussion and what was drum set on some of that stuff. And I, I mean... That blew me away. His stuff with Critters Buggin' was is still some of my favorite stuff that I listen to, um, you know. And then um, at some point, it was on the internet or something, but there was like a, a thing of album covers, uh, just a collage that Matt had played on, and it just it made you realize that no matter who your favorite drummer is, Matt Chamberlain might be your favorite drummer because he's on all of your favorite albums, whether you know it or not. And Disney movies, yeah. he's on Frozen. <laughs> he just it never stops, yeah. man. It just you know, and he's got more Craviato kits than Mr. Craviato, and it's just incredible. And yeah, he's uh, won country music awards and doesn't actually record country music. <laughs> that's so awesome. That's so awesome. Have you ever gotten a chance to interview him or speak to him? Yeah, I did. I did his cover story a few years back. We got to hang out uh, at Radio City Music Hall right after a Tori Amos gig. It was amazing. Nice. Um, Good guy. Oh yeah, he's he's one of the most genuine, no BS, uh, caring people you ever could meet sometimes he can be he can have a little bit of a smart aleck attitude right which so do i so it we kind of so it works yeah that's so cool yeah it's great when your uh, heroes kind of live up to the pedestal that you've put them on i think another you know groove guy for me that never really got credit as a groove guy maybe just because it was in such a a rock setting but is uh mike borden from faith no more love him you know he was just he was one of those guys where kind of like Bonham and definitely like Abe Cunningham from the Deftones, if I heard the beat, I knew what song it was. And that's not... So I I looked up to him for his drumming, but I looked up to him even more for his writing because the drum part allowed me to know what song was about to be played. And, you know, when you think about Aunt Judy coming over to the house and saying, play me a song, I mean, really, how many drum beats can you play where Aunt, besides Wipeout where Aunt Judy would know what that is? Yeah. And, you know, I feel that Abe Cunningham, I mean, you can play a couple different grooves and everyone goes, oh, digital bath, Deftones. And uh, obviously, same thing with, you know, Bonham. You can play a couple grooves and people know it's Zeppelin. And if people were more familiar with Faith No More, Mike Borden had that thing. Um, and the most impressive thing ever was uh, for a while, probably for like two years, I was a, uh, an, a Yamaha artist. This is a long, long time ago. And I went over to, the, um, to Yamaha in uh, Buena Vista and we were walking around and we went into kind of like a closet near the drum area and there was just a stack of 14-inch die-cast hoops all cracked in half. <laughs> and I was like, dude, who can break a die-cast hoop? And they're like, oh, Mike Borden does like three a week. And I was yeah. like, what? I remember those I was like, pictures of him with like his snare wires like totally shredded. Like, how do you do uh, that? How what a monster, <laughs> man. What a monster. Well, they're, they're putting out a new album, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. So as far as chops and groove, I mean, do you have anybody that you can think of you know, off the top of your head that really has a great handle on both? In my opinion, I, I, the first two guys that come to mind would be Steve Gadd and Benny Greb, where mm-hmm. they have great chops, but all of their chops have a pocket to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be Dennis Chambers, Vinny Cayuta for me. Yeah. Ultimate control and, and feel no matter what they played. And they can also slay your head off. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's kind of one thing I look for in chops is, you know, did you, did I just lose all of the feeling of what was going on so that you could get your chop in or did your chop actually elevate what was happening? And 
I think I was telling you a couple of weeks ago about I was listening to Al Jarreau's We're In This Love Together. I was in a parking lot with another drummer that I <laughs> I was like, dude, what are we doing sitting in a parking lot listening to We're In This Love Together? And But I was like, you have to listen to this lick. <laughs> and so we're sitting in the parking lot listening to We're In This Love Together by Al Jarreau. And then and it's just this you know simple swing groove. And then all of a sudden, Steve Gadd just like obliterates this lick and it, it was like oh my god that was so cool and he got away with it and I can imagine it was it must have been something in a session where he's like well I'll do it and then they'll cut this out but it really it really fit the song and it was great so yeah Josh Freese cool Josh Freese is another oh, one yeah. and, oh yeah two perfect circle records I I think it's oh. impossible for anyone to replicate his playing on those records dude that 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 really took rock into a new world because some of the stuff that tool was doing at the time was a little too complex for the normal listener and then when perfect circle came out it was more digestible and it was kind of like the stuff that sting does with vinnie where it was digestible for the normal person but the musician could dig deep into it yeah and have you checked out his playing on the suicidal tendencies record art of rebellion no he's a young man on that and he he took that band to a whole new place. I highly wow. recommend it. I mean, he is playing double bass. He's playing fills every other bar, but it grooves like, honestly, like like no Josh Freeze. Yeah, like him. <laughs> well, when I was doing session work um, in my early twenties, it was known that if he was anywhere near the studio you were recording at, you needed to lock the doors because he would walk in and replace you in a second. <laughs> as soon as the producer saw him, be like, oh, Josh, why don't you play on these tracks? And then it was over. So, all right, let's move forward. Let's get into the in the pocket section. So can you explain to everyone that's listening, that's new to our podcast and definitely new to Modern Drummer, what in the pocket is as far as how it relates to the magazine? Yeah, every every month we have you know, f- between four and six educational columns full of exercises, notation. Uh, in the Pocket is just one of our regular ones that focuses on groove-based concepts. Got it. So starting so this, in November, oh, we had uh, you know, the great drummer Zorro of Lenny Kravitz fame. He just put out a book recently on the halftime shuffle. So he approached me uh, maybe, I think it was PASIC last year, or it'd be 2013, about wanting to write some articles based on this that would relate back to his book. So part one is in a November issue. Uh, he gives a little bit of history, and then he, he really kind of breaks it down on how to how to develop, get control over it. Nice. So as far as the halftime shuffle itself, I mean, do you remember what's what's your first memory of hearing a halftime shuffle or experiencing it? First memory is probably full in the rain, Led Zeppelin, okay. and I tried to play that. I still can't play it, but I, I was going to say, how'd that go? <laughs> I've tried to play that song. I've never actually had to play it, but I've practiced to it probably a hundred hours and I still can't do it. Uh, so that was probably the first one. The one that's most important to me is definitely home at last by Steely Dan with Bernard Purdy. Yeah. That is kind of the be all end all halftime shuffle. But again, I've practiced to that every day for probably three years between high, you know, college and grad school. And still I can't do it. And it seems like uh, I, probably a lot of people don't know that the Purdy shuffle is technically, it's just a halftime shuffle with ghost notes. And he was kind of the one that made that groove famous in recordings with uh, Aretha Franklin. I mean, just tons of recordings. Um, and now maybe you know this because I've, I've seen little kind of bits of information here and there about it. But do you know if Bernard ever recorded the halftime shuffle but felt more in 6-8? So the backbeat was on 4 I've never heard him do that. 
You know what? And I, I don't know where I saw that. It was it was either a magazine article or an online article, but and it referenced a song where he was playing a full halftime shuffle feel, but it was in six eight. Um, so it, it's a long, long groove when you play it like that. So you mean uh, putting the the backbeat on? If it's in three four, it'd be on the downbeat of the second measure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, so so I didn't know if that was part of something of the history because I, I, I was never able to find it or see it anywhere and I tried to play it and I was like man this takes me a while to get through one bar yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of, that lot of triple feel all about patience <laughs> yeah man exactly and yeah you know for me the the shuffle in general was actually a negative thing because in the beginning, um, I went to high school with uh, somebody that some of our listeners might be familiar with, um, a guy named Johnny Rab. Well, we didn't really go to high school together, but he was a senior when I was coming in as a freshman. And I was in jazz band, and he was the, the king guy in jazz band. And obviously, he wasn't the famous Johnny Rab yet, but he was still pretty darn amazing. And, you know, in jazz band, you want to play all the bop tunes. And so, as third chair freshman, I got the shuffles, and they weren't halftime shuffles. They were mm-hmm. jazz shuffles. Medium swing. Yes, exactly. You've seen the top of the chart. And that um, should be the, the tunes reserved for your best drummer. <laughs> exactly. Dude, that, I, was, I was like, this is really handicapping me here. And I, I mean, and I wasn't a jazz guy, and still am not a jazz guy. And so those were rough. And so I, this is sad to say, but I literally transferred schools at the semester mark and went to a, a school where I could be first chair no. just so that I... Oh, yeah. Well, I knew that I was never going to get to play with Johnny there. Um, I mean, I I definitely took the opportunity to study him as much as I could. But the the guy that was second chair was also far superior to me, and I I wanted to be able to play. I didn't want to be playing Mm -hmm. shuffles. So it wasn't until later when I was in a music store and some guy sat down and played this groove, and I was like, what was that? And he's like, oh, it's a halftime shuffle. It was pretty much... He's like, it's my variation of Fool, uh, not Fool in the Rain, but um, Rosanna by Toto, right. and that's and I was like, okay, that's the that's the sickest groove I've ever heard in my life. Like, that can't be a shuffle, and so that the difference between shuffle and halftime shuffle was so monumental, and I didn't realize that you know growing up because I was still pretty young, but that was you know that was kind of my first experience with it, and then you know that led into the things like checking out Fool in the Rain, um, checking mm-hmm. out obviously. Um, the Picaro stuff, and then learning more and more about Bernard Purdy. So, so as far as currently, do you have like, do you have any modern halftime shuffles that you just love, or that you think like, yeah, man, that's that's really capturing the essence of what that feel is all about? You know, I think uh, most people are afraid of it. There's not many. Yeah. There's not many. I know uh, Death Cab for Cutie did a great one. A great. Yeah, and I was going to bring that up because you know. Uh, Jason's groove on that was the first time that I ever had to bring my left foot into a shuffle feel. Mm-hmm. But I think also <clears throat> people have really, especially that song's a great example of people really blurring the lines between what's a shuffle and then what's a 16th note triplet based groove. Right. Um, you know, cause the shuffle for those of you guys out there that don't know, just think of having, you know, three eighth note triplets, take the middle one out. And so you've just got the, the downbeat and the, uh, one, uh, two, uh, three, a four, which we call the egg factor or the football factor. It's just like a football rolling down a hill. One, a two, a three, a four. Or if it's halftime, two, a three, a four. And so that you know that feel has permeated itself or permeated itself into so many different things, like that Grapevine Fires groove, which I think is one of the sickest recorded grooves you know uh, in the last ten years. Probably it's mm-hmm. amazing. 
Yeah, and it's a reference, I think, to some Steve Gadd stuff because he used to play nice. the left foot on the offbeats a lot. Still does when he plays regular shuffles. Sure. He drives That's it with awesome. the left foot. All right. Well, hopefully you guys out there will check out, you know, um, check out the, the November issue. And then also, is it um, when does the next part of that come out? The next part of Zorro's article? He's three months in a row. So November, okay. December, January. Yeah, because I think um, in the January issue, um, he actually kind of breaks down a bunch of different shuffles and notates them and stuff like that. So right, you can yeah. Check out the recordings. All right, let's move on to gear review. So you had a chance. Now, did you personally have a chance to deal with the Minol Vintage Pure and Pure Light rides? I did. I did. I spent okay. a good month with them. Um, Whoa. A lot of fun. Uh, they kind of, you know, back when I was getting into jazz and stuff, there were no cymbals that had that kind of sound, and everyone wanted it. So it was right. like you had to find a vintage symbol that was all beat up, or you had to like bury your ride symbol in the backyard to get it all. I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's all this mystique, and when you found a good one, it was like you treasured it with your life. Uh, so when I got these, it was like, oh, here it is, it's kind of all done for you. It's already aged. It sounds like it's 50 years old and dry as a bone and right. you know, super articulate, um, but not fragile. Now, did you have to change anything about your playing to like kind of make the rides do what they're supposed to do or did you just play like yourself and then allow this new sound to come out of the cymbal i think that's kind of minel's genius is that they're not jazz cymbals they're not rock cymbals they're not fusion cymbals so you yeah. you don't have to change the way you play that and it's you know they just respond you just play them you can play them loud you can play them quiet i think these these particular symbols sound best with smaller sticks and lighter playing but i was wailing on them too and they didn't they didn't give out yeah the 22 is uh matt halpern's main ride with periphery on tour right now yeah, so which is incredible <laughs> how's he doing that i have no idea and uh i you know every time i see some somebody like halpern or matt garska play these gorgeous byzant series symbols uh i always think of like the people in turkey that it took like three days just to make it into a shape yeah and then they just go and wail and snap it you know <laughs> i'm like oh come on man but um but no it works great and he uses it when uh uh when we do our common thread clinic tours you know um jp's using a 22 inch jazz medium ride right now i'm obviously using the transition ride and then matt's using that i think he's got the the 22 vintage pure not the pure light now what's the difference between the vintage pure and pure light ride as far as the sound from your point of view uh you know what i just felt like the lights had a little bit more trashiness a little bit more wash but they're still really dry i mean they they still sound to me like you got a little bit of tape on them like if you took an old right. k and put a little tape on it that sounds right. like a the minor vintage pure to me there, that, that's a pretty good I think everyone can imagine that that, right. that works good uh, okay so you tried those out and then they have crashes and hi-hats as well right for that line yeah but not at the time when I when I reviewed them those okay were well, more then. recent haven't checked them out yet hopefully they'll send you some and we'll check those out now yeah. the Masters of Maple I'm super since I am a minor guy I know quite a bit about those symbols but the Masters of Maple stuff I know nothing about this company I don't know where they're from so give us some background on the company and then the snare that you got to play yeah you know it's it's a it's a story worth telling at length but the the uh cliff notes of it sahir is the owner one man operation at the time he he was making these drums in a storage facility and outside of los angeles and 
he probably wouldn't want me to tell this, but he was actually living in his storage facility while he was making the drums. So he had dedicated. I think that stuff's awesome, man. He's dedicated his life to making drums, and he has nothing but reverence for the greats, the Chris Brady's, the Ron Donettes, the Johnny Graviatos. Like he's he's a true student of drum making. Wow. Uh, so I met him at, at, a, at an AM show a couple of years ago, and we just hit it off. We both had the same, you know, tasteless sense of humor and, and all of that. <laughs> Uh, but he developed a snare drum that has a solid aluminum core and was, well, I can't remember the name of the wood, but some beautiful wood inside and out. And it's its solid aluminum. It's not the lightweight rolled aluminum. This drum is hefty. Right. It probably weighs... So it's like CNC, like a CNC machine. Yeah, it probably weighs 21 it. pounds. It's its a Whoa. monster. Um, so he was trying to get, you know, get that classic aluminum superphonic vibe, but totally beefed it out and with some wood tones in it and it it did exactly that i took it to a gig a small bar gig where i was playing a little jazz kit and it was like you know it was like showing up to a you know go duck hunting with a with a machine gun <laughs> really <laughs> you know, it okay was way too much drum for the room so and, and maybe some people don't know this but you know drums do have a level of sensitivity to them and and you have to pick your snare drum for what you want if you're going to be playing quiet there's some drums that sound great and then there's some drums that are literally like a, a marshall you know full stack where that amp doesn't really do anything until you turn it up to eight or nine i mean there's volume but it doesn't have the marshall tone um, or even like an ampeg 810 fridge you know it doesn't have that ampeg gargle until you get it up to volume eight or nine and so is that kind of i mean is this one of those snares that you can just keep going with it and the harder you hit the more volume it gives you exactly supreme sensitivity like you can play really quiet and articulate but when you wail on it that's when it's like okay this this is a man's drum this thing can can stand up to anything <laughs> this can handle it okay and so then just so people know this isn't just that's not the only drum they make that's the type m snare right yeah exactly he does a full okay. service custom shop he, he he does his own uh bell brass recreations that he actually he got dave Grohl's bell brass snare and recreated it uh wow i mean he's doing amazing stuff vintage style he's got gum cherry shells he's making his own stuff uh, wow. so he got his own machines now i mean he's 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 poised He's to be a serious player coming up. That's cool, man. That's cool. We need, you know, more of those, you know, custom companies. People forget all the time that, that DW was and is a custom drum company. You know, mm -hmm. they've just become a massive one. But, you know, I remember when I first signed with DW, I was 21 years old. And they, you know, they said, all right, well, what do you want? I said, I, I want a green sparkle. You know, I ordered my kit. And they're like, all right, we should have it done for you in, you know, this amount of time and i said oh well if that's the case then never mind on the green sparkle i'll just get black and they said yeah well, then it'll be three months <laughs> and i was like why don't you just give me a black drum set you know and, and they said well we don't have any we have to make every drum set for the customer at the time you know i was like oh wow and and i i really because dw was so popular i didn't know that so yeah. it's it's we need more of those companies it's really good to see how how much staying power companies like SJC have, like Craviato, um, and so to have Masters of Maple in that mix that you know you can count on and you can really get some legitimate custom stuff out of is going to be really cool. Yeah, it's like a new, the new, the, just like in, in everything else, technology kind of leveled the playing field for art, and technology has leveled the playing field for craft as well. You know, everyone Absolutely. has the tools now. You can get sh you can get materials a lot easier and a lot cheaper, but you still have to have the mojo to make something special out of it. 
That's true, man. That's absolutely true. Well, all right. Now let's get on to our pick of the week. So the pick of the week, guys, for all of you guys that are listening for the first time, and that would probably be everybody because it's our first podcast. The pick of the week is just a chance for Mike and I to alert you to something. It could be a piece of gear. It could be a video that's out on YouTube or Vimeo. It could be a new DVD. It could be a new book. Mike just hipped me to... uh, what book is it? Uh, it's called Rhythm by uh, Billy Martin. That's not my pick of the week. It'll probably be my pick of next week as I uh, get into this book. But our pick of the week is just a chance for us to alert you to something that you should check out. And sometimes it's something to buy and sometimes it's something just free to enjoy. So what's your pick of the week? Well, with this, going to the theme of Groove and Chops, I have to say that Brooks Wackerman's playing on the song Sinister Groove by Bad Religion. That intro is a killer. <laughs> Dude, yeah. you went deep. Yeah, man, that is you the pick. Deep. I've had that on repeat for at least two weeks. He's, oh man, it's it's just the intro. I mean, it's the first thirty seconds. You're like, oh, okay, he just killed everyone. It's over. Game He's over. An assassin chops, feel, creativity, oh. double bass, going way faster than I think anyone can do. It's wow, significant. You know, he's still one of the. He's one of those guys. There's like probably a group of ten pro guys that I've done things with. But I've never met just because I'm I'm so awkwardly nervous around them, um, and so I just kind of walk the other way. And, and I just <sighs> did uh, the Guitar Center drum off the finals judge that, and he was kind of in, he was one of the judges. He was in the row with us, and I was sitting next to Davey Litch and Thomas Lang, and then Brooks was next to Thomas. And I I was so I was like oh my god it's Brooks Wackerman it's Brooks Wackerman and I just you know I mean he's he is one of those underrated cats but he's only underrated by the people that don't know who he is yeah, you know what I mean he's been the people that know who he is he's yeah. not underrated at all all right well my pick of the week is a little tiny I guess it would be considered a piece of gear but recently Vader drumsticks came out with their own version of Moon Gel which is called the Buzz Kills uh, so they're extremely cheap and the reason why it's my pick of the week. It doesn't do anything that Moon Gel doesn't do. It doesn't do anything that a couple pieces of gaff tape couldn't do. But if you're massively OCD like me, then you'll appreciate that these Moon Gels are absolutely clear. So the reason I don't use Moon Gels is because they're blue. So to have a little clear piece of you know dampening on my drum, uh, especially on my side snare, I use two of them on my side snare, and it just completely kills it. But for the OCD part of me i don't have this giant blue thing so nothing wrong with moon gels i think they're fantastic and they really changed the industry when it came to dampening they made a product out of dampening but so that's my pick of the week if you're super ocd like me check out uh vader's buzz kills and i promise that in the future all of my picks of the weeks will not be things that i'm endorsed by but uh when they sent me though okay (laughs) absolutely i will make sure to be like my pick of the week is the zildjian eight inch (laughs) splash symbol um so everyone Please, if you like this podcast, we want to do more of these, but we need your help to do that. We don't need any money from you or anything like that. We just need you to go to iTunes and give us a positive review on there. That stuff really helps us keep this stuff going because we want to be able to spend 45 minutes with you on the way to work every week talking about the things that we all love as drummers. So until then, everybody, keep playing, keep practicing. Never judge yourself against anyone else. That's not going to do you any good. Judge yourself against yourself. If you are better today than you were yesterday, then it's a good day. If you are not better today than you were yesterday, then get off of Facebook and start practicing. We will see you guys soon. Thanks so much for checking out the Mike and Mike podcast, and we will see you guys next time. Boom. That wasn't as much of a train wreck as I thought it might be.